If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open to the book of Titus. We're beginning a new series in this uh, short letter of Paul to a man named Titus. Uh, Titus is the last in the, uh, the T books in the New Testament. So if you're looking for it, you have 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, then you have 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then you have Titus after that. So the so last of those uh, T letters in the New Testament. This morning, we'll be reading and looking at Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Paul's uh, greeting to Titus, uh, that thing which really kind of sets the, the tone and the theme for this epistle as a whole. So Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Pay attention, this is God's word. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you have given us your word for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, we ask now that as we begin a new study through this book, that you would teach us, you would instruct us, you would correct us where we need correcting, that you would show us what we need to know from your word. Most of all, we ask, Lord, that you would present to us Christ, our Savior, uh, that we would see him in all of his glory as Lord of the church, as King of his people. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, children, I think you probably have had an experience where there were a lot of presents sitting somewhere, maybe under a tree, maybe on a table. And you wanted to know which one of those presents belonged to you. So you would go up to those presents, and how would you find out if it belonged to you? Would you shake it to see what was inside of it? No, probably not. Would you, would you smell it? No, that wouldn't tell you if it belonged to you or not. Would you read something? I think you would. I think you would probably look for a little sticker or maybe a card or some other tag that said to you from mom and dad or your brother or sister, an aunt or uncle or grandparents or something. You would, you would find out where that present came from, who it was from, and who it was addressed to, whether or not it was your present. Now, adults, you probably have had something of a similar experience when, with presents, yes, but also with the mail. You go and you pull out the mail from the mailbox and you see uh, to you from the IRS or something, hopefully not that. Um, 
But you as well have, have received things where you saw that it was from someone and it was to you. That initial uh, information which you needed to know the content of, of a letter, of a present, or the like. Well, the reason why I am uh, opening with this illustration is because we have here, at the very beginning of this letter from Paul to Titus, uh, the same thing as you might have from the tag on a present or from the information on the front of an envelope. We see who this letter is from, who it is to, and we get kind of an understanding of maybe the, the contents of the letter as a whole as Paul makes his greeting to this man, Titus. And now we see at the very beginning that this is from Paul. We see that it is to Titus there in verse four. So we see it's a, a letter from Paul. And we're all fairly familiar with Paul. I think he is that apostle of Christ, the one who uh, had that conversion on the road to Damascus where Christ appeared to him uh, as he was seeking to persecute the church uh, and his life was just radically changed. So we're familiar with Paul, maybe not so much Titus. You might be thinking, well, I know the name Titus because I know the books of the Bible. I think I've read about Titus somewhere. Where in Acts have I heard about Titus? Uh, and you might actually be interested to know that you didn't read about Titus in Acts at all because he isn't, he isn't mentioned in Acts, which is fairly surprising. He's only mentioned in Paul's other letters. Titus, the man to whom this is addressed, uh, this man who will be ministering to the church in Crete, that Paul is writing to, uh, was a Gentile converted through Paul's ministry. Uh, Paul essentially says that when he calls Titus my true child in a common faith. That's Paul's language to say that the Titus was converted under Paul's ministry. And so he loves Titus as his spiritual child. So he was a Gentile. We know that because in Galatians 2, Paul talks about how he took Titus with him to the Jerusalem council. And, and Titus was an uncircumcised man. And Paul is presenting him to uh, the Jewish church, basically saying, look, the Lord has been gracious to the Gentiles as well. Uh, he's converting them. Here's an example. Here's Titus. And so we might extrapolate from that that Titus was uh, a particularly good example of a Gentile convert, a man uh, with a true faith in Christ, with a great piety, uh, godliness of characters, because Paul brought him to that council as, as an example. We also know that Titus ministered uh, in Paul's behalf to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians, Paul mentions Titus's work in the church in Corinth a great deal. Uh, Titus went there to minister to the church in Corinth to collect an offering for uh, suffering saints in Jerusalem uh, to kind of intercede. Uh, the church in Corinth wasn't particularly happy with Paul, and so Titus came and, uh, in Paul's behalf to, to speak to the people in Corinth. And so we see from that also Titus's uh, trustworthy character. We see his, his desire to serve the Lord and the church, his, his desire to help people. We see Probably also that, that Titus has good interpersonal skills because he's going to Corinth in behalf of Paul. And then here in the letter of Titus, we see that he's now ministering to the church in Crete. Uh, we would read that in verse 5. The people in Crete had heard the gospel. They trusted in Christ. Uh, but now uh, these people, this church, need help. They need ministering too. Uh, they need someone to to. Uh, preach to them, to teach them, to help build them up, uh, to help them to establish a, a biblically functioning church. So Paul wrote to Titus to give him and the Christians in Crete some instructions for this building up 
of the church, for, for having biblical principles of, of how the church is to grow in faith and the knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, something which Paul talks about in verse 1. So in Paul's introduction, in his greeting to Titus, he, he sets the tone, essentially, for what he's going to write through the entire letter. And three things which Paul does here in this greeting is speak of the purpose of the church's ministry. He does that in verse 1 by speaking essentially of the purpose of his ministry, which, as we are to uh, follow Paul, even as he follows Christ, we see as an example for the purpose of the church's whole ministry. Paul also speaks of uh, the foundation of of the church's work, the church's whole existence. In verses 2 and 3, when he speaks of, of our hope, of the eternal life. So we see uh, purpose of the ministry, foundation of existence. And, and then finally in verse four, after he greets Titus, he gives this benediction, this blessing. He speaks of the blessing of the church's God, the blessing which God gives to his people, the grace and peace which we have from our Lord and God. Three very simple things. To set the tone for the entirety of this book, which we'll, we'll delve deeper into as we study through the book. But for now, we'll look at these three things, purpose, foundation, and blessing, as we go through this greeting in Titus. So with that in mind, let's look at verse 1 and see what Paul writes there uh, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We read in verse 1, Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Now, as I said earlier, this is a letter from Apostle Paul. He greets Titus here by saying who it is exactly who is writing. Now, Titus, who is a friend of Paul, a companion of Paul, would not have necessarily needed to know uh, all this information about Paul. But the church in Crete probably would. And as Paul is giving this letter to Titus to then read to uh, the rest of the Cretan Christians, uh, it's important for Paul to set out who he is and what it is that he is doing. So how does Paul describe himself? What are the two things which Paul says about himself here in this verse? He says, he's Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing which he says of himself We have here translated in our English Standard Version Bible, a servant of God. I think more accurately, we should be translating that as a bondservant or a slave of God. Now, when we hear the word slave, I I think automatically we're kind of uh, shocked, maybe. Paul saying he's a slave, it has negative connotations in our culture, doesn't it? I mean, after all, in in the uh, 19th century, a whole war was fought over the issue of slavery, wasn't it? Paul is calling himself a slave here. Now, slavery in in the ancient times, slavery in Rome was uh, really just as as brutal as any slavery uh, any other time in in the history of the world. Uh, It was not really a good thing. Why then would Paul call himself a slave of God? Well, you know that all mankind really actually does... uh, stand in a position of slavery of one of two things. We are either slaves to sin, aren't we? Or slaves to righteousness, slaves to Christ. Jesus said, if anyone sin, he is a slave to sin. What this means 
is that if we are not trusting in Christ, we are, are bound to sin. Uh, we are bound to do our master's will. Those who are still slaves to sin, their, their wills are tied up to sin. They can't help but sin. That is naturally what man wants to do, is to sin. Well, the alternative is to trust in Christ and, and have our will bound to his. To be slaves to Christ, to do what Christ wants us to do. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he says that he is a slave of God. He's saying that his will is bound to God's will. That he, like, like a slave, can't do his own thing. Indeed, he doesn't want to do his own thing. He wants to do what God wants him to do. That's why he calls himself a slave to God. He says he does the Lord's will. That's all he wants to do is the Lord's will. So Paul says he really has a position of humility here. One where Paul is not uh, the main character. God is. Paul will do what God wants him to do. He's a slave of God. Paul also says that he is an apostle though, of Jesus Christ. The word apostle means a, a one who is sent, one who is commissioned. Paul was commissioned by Christ Jesus to a particular task. So his will is bound to the will of God. He will do only what God wants him to do. And God has said, Paul, go to the Gentile world and proclaim the gospel. Tell everyone you meet about the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell them about the great forgiveness that there is in Christ. Tell them that they are sinners in need of a savior and tell them that the Lord Jesus Christ is a savior who loves to save sinners. That is what Paul is commissioned to do, to go and proclaim Christ to the nations. And while being a slave of God shows that Paul is, has a position of humility, uh, when he says that he's an apostle, he's saying that he also has a position of authority in Christ. Not because he's Paul, and so you have to listen to me. He's saying, as I tell you what Christ has said, as I proclaim the words of God to you, pay attention and listen to them. I'm speaking on behalf of my God, on behalf of my master. Why? Why has he been made a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ? Well, because the Lord loves his people, doesn't he? Because the Lord wants his people to grow in faith and knowledge. That's what Paul says here in the second half of verse one. He says that he's, he's a servant of God, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So Paul has been commissioned by God to spread the gospel for the sake of the faith of God's elect, to find all of those whom God had chosen to tell them about Christ Jesus so that they would hear and so that the spirit would begin the work in their heart of, of bringing them to faith in Christ Jesus so that they would be converted, so that they would trust in Christ. That is why Paul has been given these tasks, these roles, is so that God's people would hear the gospel, that they would have faith, and that they would grow in faith. He has been commissioned for the sake of the faith of God's elect. God has given Paul. God gives other people, pastors, Sunday school teachers, uh, godly older people in your lives, parents, 
He's given them to you, to the church, for the faith of his people, for building us up in faith, for, for causing us to, to look more to Jesus, for growing in this grace that God has given to us. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? That God has given us to one another. Here at CRPC, especially, God has placed us all here in this congregation, in each other's lives, for the sake of each other's faith. That we can go up to one another and have real conversations and say, how are you doing? And we don't just say, oh, I'm fine and move on. But, but we can actually tell one another the truth. And we can say, brother, sister, I, I'm grieving with you or I'm rejoicing with you. Brother, sister, look to Christ. When you're grieving, he is the one who, who doesn't quench the smoldering wick or break the bruised reed. He's not going to be harsh with you. He's kind and compassionate. Look to him and his compassion. Brother, sister, you're rejoicing that God has blessed you so much. I, I praise God with you. This is glorious. This is good news. Thank you for sharing with me. We can point one another to Christ because we've been placed in each other's lives. This is, this is the purpose of the church collectively, all of us, the body of Christ, our ministry to one another. We're all members of a body, all meant to help one another in this life, in this walk of faith, and pointing one another to Christ and helping one another to grow in faith and, and holiness. That's why God gave Paul to the church. That's why God has given us to the church. And I've gotten ahead of myself a little bit because I got excited, but Paul is also supposed to, he's, his purpose is for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, that which accords with godliness. Paul is ministering to these people. He's teaching them the word of God. He's proclaiming to them the glories of Christ so that they'll grow in the knowledge of their Savior. They'll grow in the knowledge of God's word. They'll see more and more who God is and, and what God has done. They'll see more and more the, the truths of the Lord and in all that uh, he is in his glory. They grow in that as well, in, in faith and in knowledge. That's why God has given Paul to the church. That's why God has given each of us to the church, so that we can also help instruct one another and teach one another. We do that in Sunday school, as a Sunday school teacher is teaching. We do that as we have casual conversations and we, we speak about what we've learned about God from our, our scripture reading that week. We do that in corporate worship as we're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs because we're supposed to teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're singing praises to God when we sing, yes. But we're also talking about who God is and, and what he's done. And we hear that as we're singing and praising God. We hear that as other people are singing and we're reminded this is who the true and living God is. It's for the sake of faith and knowledge and especially though, that knowledge which is in accord with godliness. This is, this is important here because there's a lot of knowledge that we can acquire. We could go read every systematic theology textbook which exists and we could gain a lot of knowledge. We could fill our heads. We could stuff it with facts. But if that does not accord with godliness, if, if that does not cause us to grow in Christ's likeness, if that doesn't cause us to look more like Jesus, then it's really kind of useless isn't it? See, our knowledge is supposed to be in accord with godliness, Paul says. Our knowledge is supposed to not just produce uh, 
egg-headedness in us. It's to produce a life which mirrors the one that we are learning about. And that's another thing that we are supposed to do is, as we minister one to another. is not just say, hey, do you have Shorter Catechism number five memorized? But how is that teaching you to look to Christ and how is that teaching you to look more like Christ? Brother, I'm very excited that you've learned what the exact definition of the hypostatic union is. That Christ is God and man, 100%, both of them. But is that causing you to look to Christ as the perfect savior of man? The one who is 100% God, so he's, his sacrifice is an infinite sacrifice. The sacrifice you need, that he's man, so he can actually represent you before God. So he's the perfect sacrifice, the one that you need. How is that causing you to, to look more to Christ and to grow more like Christ? That is the point here. God has given Paul to the church to, to teach us through what Paul wrote. Uh, he's given us to the church to help one another to grow in faith, to grow in our knowledge of who God is, to glorify God with godly lives. That is the purpose of the church's ministry. We see also here that there is a foundation for all of what we're supposed to do, our, our whole work, our whole existence. In verses 2 and 3, we see that that is in hope of eternal life. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word, who the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. We are to live our lives, all of our lives, in the hope of eternal life. Basically, this is shorthand for trusting in Christ and believing everything which God has said about him, everything which God has said about our salvation, hope of eternal life. Now, hope many times in our, our culture is used, the word is used in a, a very, a wishful way. We say, well, we want to go on a picnic. I hope it doesn't rain today. You're saying that you just really, really wish that the weather would stay nice. But that's not the way that scripture uses this word hope. The way that, that scripture uses the word hope the biblical sense of this word is that hope is a confident expectation. A confident expectation. Not a mere wishfulness, but confidence. Maybe if you've ever had a dog, you know that, uh, well, it depends on the dog, I suppose, but the dog might go sit by its food bowl at the same time every day feeding time. That dog goes and sits by its food bowl and stares at you until you scoop the food out and pour it in the bowl. And why is that? The dog has a confident expectation that you, its master, are going to give it food the same way that you do every single day. This dog knows who you are. It knows what your character is. It knows that at, uh, you know, eight in the morning and 5 p.m., it always gets a cup and a half of food and it is so excited for that point in the day. So it goes and it sits there. And it confidently expects you to pour food in its bowl. That is the kind of hope which we Christians ought to have. 
in this promise of eternal life, which we may have in this promise of eternal life. This confidence exists because it is promised to us. Paul says that that our, our faith, our knowledge, which accords to godliness, indeed his whole ministry is all done in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Why this hope? Why this eager expectation of eternal life? Because God has promised it. You know, people throughout history have have looked for eternal life. They've wished for eternal life. Kings and emperors and adventurers and all these other people uh, looked for the fountain of youth or they tried to create uh, the philosopher's stone. That's like the whole point of alchemy was to make this thing that would make you live forever. Or, or these days, uh, people might try and preserve their bodies through uh, cryogenic preservation or something, thinking, well, maybe science will progress to the point where I'll come back to life and I can live forever. People have wanted eternal life for pretty much as long as man uh, has existed in that state of the fall where we die. But they have not had a confident hope in and of themselves. Why? Because man has never found a way to conquer death. But we who are in Christ, we who are trusting in the Lord Jesus may have a confident expectation do have a confident expectation because God promised. God, who Paul says never lies, God who has always told the truth, God has said from the very beginning, I will save a people for myself. I will give them eternal life. They will be saved to the utmost. They will live with me for eternity. And everyone who trusts in Christ Jesus has that eternal life. That is the promise of God. Trust in Christ. You'll be forgiven of your sins, made right with God, and you will live with him for eternity. It was promised in eternity. That's why we have this hope. But we also have this hope because it was manifested or revealed at the proper time. Verse 3, we read, at the proper time, this hope was manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Paul says that God made this known, this this eternal life, the, the fullness of this eternal life. He made it known at the proper time. Uh, this means that God not only planned to give eternal life to his people, to save them so that they might have eternal life. That It means that he also uh, determined the time in which that plan uh, would be revealed to them. He promised uh, and determined that time in which Christ would come to earth to save men. <clears throat> oh. But for a long time, Men had this promise, but they did not uh, see the fullness of it because the proper time had not yet come. Children, uh, maybe a way for for us to understand this fact that that God has an appointed time, a proper time for something to happen. A good illustration of that for you might be, imagine that uh, your parents tell you this summer, summer generally, we're going to go to Hershey Park. I promise. Well, you can have a 
confident expectation that your parents have promised you're going to Hershey Park, but you don't know when that's going to happen. You don't know what the appointed day is, but your, your parents will have planned that trip. And so at some point they will tell you, oh, on August 2nd, we're going to Hershey Park or whatever other day. They might even wait to surprise you. But they say, okay, everybody go get in the car and you get in the car and you start driving and you say, where are we going? And they say, to Hershey Park, surprise. And that's very joyful. God told people throughout time, I am God, your savior. You're my people. But they didn't know all of the fullness. He promised the Messiah would come to them. But while they had that promise and and they knew that God never lied and he would fulfill that promise, they didn't have the entire fullness. But Paul says that at the proper time, God manifested in his word through preaching that all of this was made known. Through the preaching of the gospel, the fullness of God's entire plan has been made known to men. God's plan has been communicated in its entirety through the gospel. This is a gospel which Paul says he was entrusted with. And he says that he preached it by command of God, the Savior. He was entrusted with it. Uh, it shows that there is a great responsibility, this proclamation of the gospel. We have great responsibility. We, we know of this hope of eternal life that God has promised. We know that this is found in Christ Jesus. We have responsibility to tell people about this. We have responsibility to tell ourselves about it. We should be reminding ourselves of the gospel every single day. When we wake up, we we should thank the Lord for this new day he's given to us. And we should say, remember, Christ has died for you. Christ forgives you. And we should think about that. And then we should tell other people about that. It was entrusted to Paul for him to, to care for and to take care of and present faithfully, to be faithful with. You might think of, this is to kind of explain this, this entrusting. The first time you, you ever held a baby, what happened? Maybe if you were very young, the adults might have said, be careful. Take care of the baby. Maybe it's the first time uh, you ever held a baby was when you were an adult and you all of a sudden felt this great sense of, of responsibility and awe. Oh, this is a little person right here. That's what Paul says. was kind of his reaction and feeling and being commissioned to preach the gospel. He's been entrusted with it. He, he has to care about this. He has to take care of it and then present it faithfully because God, his Savior, has commanded it, because God, our Savior, the, the Savior of men, sent Paul to proclaim the great salvation which is in him. To speak of the God of grace who loves to save sinners. Paul was entrusted and commanded. We too are are entrusted with the gospel. We too can tell other people about God, our savior. And we ought to. We ought to rejoice in this great salvation which we have and it ought to fuel us and encourage us and drive us to speak about Jesus all the time. At every opportunity we have. 
because Jesus is the foundation of the church's whole existence and the church's whole work. And we have seen the purpose of Paul's ministry, of the church's ministry. We've seen the foundation, Christ, and this gospel of Jesus as the foundation of the church's whole existence, the church's work. And we see that this is all through the grace of God, the blessing which God gives to his people. In verse 4, Paul finally gets to who he's writing this to, to Titus, my true child in the common faith. And remember I said that that this phrase, true child in the common faith, is indicating that uh, it was through Paul's ministry, through Paul's preaching of the gospel, that, that the Spirit called Titus, and Titus trusted in Christ. And so he's, he's like Paul's spiritual child in a common faith, in the faith of Christ, which we've given to. Paul addresses it to Titus, and then he proclaims this, this apostolic blessing under inspiration of the Spirit, he says to Titus and to the church in Crete and to you this morning, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. What a way to address a letter. Have you ever received a letter from somebody where they just talked a ton about Jesus? They said, dear so-and-so, here's just a ton about Jesus, and now blessings to you. You would probably read that and say, that was, that's an excellent letter. And then you flip the page and realize there's a bunch more. That's what Paul does here. He proclaims this, this glorious blessing of grace and peace in God. Grace, you know, is, is that uh, action of God, that act of God where we are given what we don't deserve. Oftentimes, grace and mercy are, are placed together. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, right? God has mercy upon us. He does not give us what we deserve. We deserve judgment. God does give us grace. He gives us something which we don't deserve, an abundance of, of goodness and kindness to us. Paul says, grace to you, dear Christian. May God give to you Grace upon grace, may he abundantly be gracious to you, giving you all those things which you don't deserve, giving you all of the blessings in Christ which you have when you trust in him. So Paul pronounces grace upon them and peace as well. Do you have peace in your life? You have peace with God if you are trusting in Christ. You are no longer an enemy of God if you trust in the Lord Jesus. You have peace, friendship, reconciliation with God. Paul reminds you of that by, by proclaiming this, this blessing. There is peace with God, but Paul is also saying that there can be peace in your life from God. He doesn't promise it, but he says that this is his desire for the church that God would bestow grace and peace upon them. And you see who this grace and peace is from. It's not from Paul. Oh, excuse me, <clears throat> not from Paul. He doesn't say, I in and of myself can proclaim grace and peace to you. Because I'm Paul, the apostle, you have grace and peace. Now, on inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says that this blessing comes from your heavenly father, the one who loved you from before the foundation of the world, 
who chose you in Christ, who by his spirit brought you into his household, his family. This father, which you have a father unlike any other father, gives grace and peace. It's from God our Father and it is from Christ Jesus our Savior, the one through whom we have peace with God. The one uh, through whose life, his perfect life and his sacrifice on our behalf, we have peace and we have grace upon grace upon grace. Indeed, all the, the blessings of the heavenly places which are in him. This is the blessing of the church's God. It is a blessing of abundant grace for those in Christ. Blessing upon blessing. It's the blessing of, of peace with God. No more enmity, no, no more fighting because God is our Father and Christ is our Savior. This is the whole reason why Paul is writing this letter to the church in Crete through Titus. It's because he wants them to be firmly established in their faith and their knowledge of the truth and, and their hope of eternal life, which is in Christ because God, the great grace giver, the great peacemaker, our heavenly father, Christ Jesus, our savior, has brought us into his family. This sets the tone for the entirety of this letter, a letter uh, through which the church in Crete and we by extension will, will be instructed uh, and taught how we might be built up in our faith, ways in which uh, our congregation can, can be strengthened in Christ. This is why Paul has written this letter from an apostle and slave of God to a true child in a faith. For the church as a whole, this is to point us to Christ and to strengthen us in Christ. Lord willing, as we continue to go through this book, the Lord will indeed continue to point us to Christ, the one through whom we have grace and peace, and he will instruct us and teach us and how we might grow in Christ and in this faith which he has given to us. Let us pray that he does so even as we close now in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this beginning portion of the book of Titus, Lord. We thank you that you have given us this, this uh, book of scripture, this letter from Paul to Titus, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you used Paul uh, to strengthen your people's faith and to uh, build them up in their knowledge of you. Lord, we pray that you would use uh, your church as well to, to strengthen your people's faith and to build them up in their knowledge. We thank you that we have this hope of eternal life in Christ and in Christ alone, we ask, Lord, that you would remind us of this day by day, of this great promise which you've made, that uh, everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus has eternal life. They will never be put to shame. They will surely spend eternity with you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us also to share this great news with those around us. Father, we thank you for this wonderful blessing which you have given to us, grace and peace. That you, our Father, have have brought us into your family and through Christ our Savior to pour out abundant grace upon us and to give us peace with you. Oh Lord, help us to continue to grow in our knowledge of these things for our good and for your glory. We ask in Christ's name.
Amen.